Hello, Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news, workers' stories and social justice issues. Stick Together is produced in the studios of 3CR Radio in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. News that Brisbane bus driver Manmeet Sharma had been incinerated while at the wheel of his bus was so shocking that it did not just stun Brisbane but sent waves throughout Australia. We talked to Owen Dugan from the Rail, Bus and Tram Union Queensland branch hours before a local memorial which will be followed by nationwide events this week. Federal Minister for Education and Training, Simon Birmingham, announced a couple of weeks ago the jobs in the creative arts were, quote, a lifestyle choice. Now this was, of course, his way of justifying swinging cuts to arts courses as part of a major overhaul of the vocational training sector, including a drastic reduction in the number of tertiary-level diploma courses eligible for taxpayer-funded student loans. The obvious role art workers contribute to the economy or the well-being of our society is not part of the discussion. So when we went down to a spot action called in support of the Centre for Cultural Partnerships, CCP, cut without warning via an email by the Dean of the Victorian College of the Arts, we found not just some of the 40 master's students, 35 MFA and PhD candidates, but five core staff, 10 casual staff and union representatives. But first, some workers' news. Have you been wondering what happened about the 7-Eleven and wages fraud? Well, it might be called stereotyping, but big business has once again proved it can't be trusted to do the right thing. Just to recap, you will remember that in 2015, the story broke on the massive wages fraud and abusive employment practices throughout the 7-Eleven franchises. When the franchise system set up by 7-Eleven went under the microscope, it was found that the high rates paid to the central 7-Eleven Owners were so high that franchisees were commonly passing on the costs by radically underpaying and abusing their workforce. Now we discover that in paying back those employees, the 7-Eleven empire has taken an excessively low road when it comes to their obligations. 7-Eleven sacked a compensation panel headed by Alan Fells and replaced it with an internal system in collaboration with Deloitte and is using the ultra-low cash rate of 1.5% to calculate interest on workers' repayments, instead of the standard practice of using the federal court rate, which is the official cash rate plus 4%. It also contrasts with its own business practice to charge franchisees interest on the loans they use to buy stock at the Westpac indicator rate, which can run up to 7%. To put that all in perspective, Paskash Kumar, who was underpaid hundreds of thousands of dollars at a number of 7-Eleven stores, has been offered a payout under the new scheme that is $100,000 less 
than the amount law firm Morris Blackburn had calculated. The National Union of Workers have announced that Caltex members in Queensland are taking indefinite action after they were threatened with wage cuts of 15%, despite the company posting record profits. Caltex has told workers their wages are unsustainable, while recording a recent $522 million profit surge and paying the CEO $13.8 million per annum. Further to the Caltech story, since the NUW announced their dissatisfaction with a wages cut, Caltech has been rocked by a franchisee's wages rorting scandal similar to 7-Eleven. Caltex warned its service station owners that they were about to be raided by the Fair Work Oddmansman amid accusations of wage fraud and intimidation. Despite the early warning given by the FWO to Caltex, its report revealed that some franchisee employees, many of whom are students from Pakistan or India, have been paid as little as $12 an hour, Other allegations include employees sleeping on mats in back rooms to reduce commute times and intimidating workers and even their families. The FWO, the Fair Work Ombudsman, says it gave Caltech the warning about its raids to promote compliance across the Caltex network. Surprise, surprise, some current employees state that Caltex franchisees use the advance warning to instruct employees to lie to FWO inspectors about their working conditions and remuneration. Caltex Australia said that it does not tolerate any unlawful activity, including deliberate underpayment of workers. It said that Caltex's 85 company-operated sites comply with all Australian laws and it requires every one of its more than 300 franchisees to comply with the law. At the close of Australian Fashion Week and the anniversary of the collapse of the Rana Plaza factory in Bangladesh, the bloodiest disaster in the history of the garment industry, the 2015 Australian Fashion Report has named and shamed the worst clothing brands sold in Australia for the ongoing exploitation of their overseas workers. Lowe's, Industry, Best and Less and the Just Group, which includes Just Jeans, Portman's and Dotty, were identified as some of the worst performing companies. Amongst the best performers were Atico, Audrey Blue, Cotton On, H&M and Zara. It found that only two of the companies could prove they were paying a full living wage to the workers in two of the three production stages of their clothing. None of the 59 companies could prove the workers at their raw material suppliers were paid a living wage. In some countries like Bangladesh where the minimum wage is as little as 68 US dollars a month and a living wage is 104 US dollars a month, the difference can be made by paying each worker just an additional 30 cents per T-shirt. 
Even in Iceland, the country most experts consider the world's leader in gender equity, the gender gap pay persists. Women employees make 14 to 18 percent less than men in Iceland, a discrepancy that unions and women's organisations say means women effectively work for free after 2:38 p.m. On Monday, that's the 25th of the 10th, in protest of the pay gap, thousands of Icelandic women decided to work the hours their pay merited by leaving their workplaces promptly when the clock struck 2.38. Stick together. Yeah. Stick together. 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 You're listening to Stick Together on Community Radio. You're on Stick Together with Annie, produced at 3CR Melbourne and distributed by the Community Radio Network. Across Australia, transport workers have been deeply affected by the death of Manmeet Sharma, a Brisbane bus driver attacked on Friday the 28th of October at the wheel of his bus. Memorials have been held and Brisbane City Council that ran the bus route Munmeet was driving, has set up a memorial fund to support his family and will have installed a permanent memorial to honour Munmeet. Memorial ceremonies will be held across the country this week. Driver safety has now reached the front of the queue, with Queensland Transport Minister Stirling Hitchcliffe announcing that the inquiry into safety in public transport will now be fast-tracked. I spoke to Owen Dugan, Branch Secretary Queensland for the RTBU, for an insight into the tragedy. How are your members uh, uh, holding up after such a terrible event? Uh, it's been tragic, and uh, they are really doing tremendous work given the trauma that has uh, went through the whole of the workforce in the last uh, week or so. Uh, but they are really being strong and looking after the public, uh, so I'm very proud of them. Now, there is a Black Arm Day, uh, Band Day across Australia in solidarity for bus drivers, correct, for yes. all the drivers? That, that's right, and and, uh, and and also there'll be some other members this round. Uh, each of the state will be dealing with it differently. Uh, on Thursday of next week. Today in Queensland, all the bus drivers uh, are, uh, or most of the bus drivers will be attending a memorial service at uh, its depot. Yeah. Now, um, this was a a city council bus line. Yes. And so... Uh, that has uh, ramifications, doesn't it? Well, it, it, it could be any bus driver, whether it's a bus driver, and it could be anyone that could have been affected or this. And this is the thing that really affects people. Or it could be any public transport person, because the the Remembrance Day or the the uh, day that's on next Thursday is going to be a. Uh, Recognition Day for public transport workers, because it could have happened to anyone in the public transport area. So we we really do, whether it be trams, trains, or buses, whether it be the public sector or the private sector, 
uh, next Thursday we'll be asking the public to just have, have a few minutes thought about the people who provide them with that service and the pain and suffering that they're going through at the present time as a result of that each step. There's um, uh, been a call for uh, investigations into safety procedures uh, for bus drivers in Queensland to be, and as you say, public transport workers in general, to uh, proceed quickly. Yes, uh, I'm pleased to say the Minister for Transport has advised that uh, the inquiry that's currently underway uh, and started only a couple of weeks ago will be fast-tracked and it was supposed to report in March and uh, the Minister has assured us that he will put the resources into um, to endeavour to have it done before then. And that's a positive. Yeah, well, that is a positive out of this, um, this terrible event. Um, the uh, ramifications for OH&S, and, I mean, of course, Mamit died uh, doing his job, uh, yeah. one uh, in a way that uh, is basically indescribable, really. Oh, look, it, it, uh, I think it's a shock throughout Australia because no one would expect something like this, this to happen. But the issue happened, uh, from our understanding, because of a mental health issue. And I think that's important that we should remember that, that that was the basis of it. But that doesn't stop... Uh, uh, one bus driver said to me that every time he opens the door to let someone on now, he's no longer looking at the person's face, he's looking at what they're carrying. Uh, and that's the subconscious fear that will take a long time to disappear from a lot of drivers. And as I said, a lot of it's actually subconscious uh, the reaction among the drivers. I've been reading some of the responses that the bus drivers, some of your members have put up on your webpage and um, yeah. uh, one says that uh, there should be um, mandatory sentency for anyone who assaults bus driver in the same way as doctors, nurses, paramedics, police. And uh, uh, there's, there's a sense that bus drivers uh, or public um, transport workers who are at the coalface uh, are, are belittled because of their work. Uh, you know, they're not seen in the same light. Look, the, the reality is uh, uh, the vast majority of the public are fabulous, but you have an element in any society that uh, are prepared to do things that are, are unacceptable. Our view is that because, the, because our bus drivers and other public transport workers are exposed to the public, providing a service to the public, a service that the public desperately needs, that they should be treated uh, much the same as emergency service workers and that, uh, that people will understand if they, if they assault uh, drivers or other public transit workers, they are going to get a significant penalty. And uh, we are asking the government to uh, look at that during this investigation. But we're also looking at other things. We're looking at the potential for cashless buses because whilst whilst this wouldn't that, that wouldn't have affected the Mamit uh, uh, issue, it is still part of the driver safety issue that uh, uh, theft could be be a problem for our, our members. Uh, and we're looking for some other things, looking at screens, uh, appropriate screens, whether or not they would be of assistance or would help out. So there's a number of other factors we're looking at. Mm. Uh, to, in the review but at this point in time 
our focus is more on the memorial and we'll deal with those issues uh, down the track but uh, just now we're trying to deal with the uh, with the uh, mourning among the Punjabi community uh, and we're working very closely with the Punjabi community during this terrible time for them. What methods are you going to try and employ to uh, allay people's fears and to uh, soothe their uh, worry? Look, the, the, the reality is here I'm not going to insult the intelligence of my members by suggesting I know how to deal with their grief. Each person will deal with the grief they've got in relation to what happened to them differently. But we will be there to support them. We'll be there to talk to them. Uh, there is no panacea that, uh, in relation to this incident. But I, I, I feel confident talking to our members that they know that we're out there trying to improve the uh, protections they get when they go to work and their safety when they're at work. And this may well be uh, a catalyst, a very unfortunate catalyst uh, for some changes that we've been pursuing for some time to uh, improve safety. But as I said, that's for something for the next few weeks just now. The focus is on uh, on the Punjabi community and trying to to walk with them during a period of mourning. Thanks very much for your time, Owen. No worries. Thanks. Bye. Thank you. Bye. The students and staff of the Centre for Cultural Partnerships, CCP, at the Victorian College of the Arts, VCA, were informed by email that the department would close effective December 31st, 2016. They were not only shocked for their own futures, but that Australia's only dedicated graduate teaching and research centre for community and socially engaged arts practice had been singled out for the chopping block. It was incredible to them. This is some of what was said at a spot rally outside VCA attended by both the Media Entertainment Arts Alliance representatives and the National Tertiary Education Union representatives. Sarah, she's our um, NTU branch secretary. She's going to be speaking at the rally today. Yeah, why is it important today? It's important because there's a whole bunch of jobs on the line and... Staff have been kept in the dark about what's happening to their futures and they're employed very precariously anyway. They haven't been factored into any of the planning around the closure of the centre. Um, And also it's a direct attack on the arts and it's a direct attack on arts education. It's a direct attack on accessibility to the arts for people in the community. So these people are doing amazing work, actually taking art out into lower socioeconomic areas, giving kids and other people a chance to explore their creativity and express who they are. And I think in a neoliberal context, that's incredibly important. We need to you know, support the voices, these voices, and stop the university from shutting this program down. I understand that they were informed by email. Yes, and some people haven't even had that. Can you tell me uh, what's happened to your course? Um, Well, it was cancelled. Okay, how did you find out about it? Uh, An email. 
Yeah, and uh, how, how far advanced are you in your course? Uh, I think I was about oh yeah, second semester, so brand new course. Brand new course. Yeah. <laughs> are you going to get your money back? Um, well, hopefully I'll get my course back. Yeah. That's All right. Be the ideal. <laughs> yeah, cool. Yeah. So what do you do in your course? Um, well, I'm, uh, that's, well, that's what I'm in art school to find out. Like, I mean, part of the process of going through um, a, a Master of Arts and Community Practice is that you actually get to develop your practice, work on it, sort of look at um, what, where you... I mean, a lot of us have been working independently. I, I've just been an activist in my community, so um, coming here I'm actually receiving some, some, some um, mentorship. I'm receiving sort of... Um, a colleagues, a collegiate sort of environment with other, other sort of similar people. So, um, yeah, it's like it's like going into your own industry. It's like a builder wouldn't go and hang out in the um, accounting department. So, have you been given any explanation for why they've closed this course down? Uh, something about the reasons went simple. I haven't read through all the documentation, but um, I I don't believe that there's actually. I don't believe that there was actually, I mean, we're, we're an entrepreneurial sort of, we're creatives, you know, we make our own money, we're, we're in our own businesses, we, we sort of, you know, we have to fend for ourselves. So it's sort of a bit strange that um, that um, a business school, for example, the University of Melbourne, a business school would make a business decision without actually using the skills and, and um, consultation and collaboration available from the students. Like, each of us individually are probably connected to most of the arts communities and, and various sort of institutions and um, governments and that around the entire state of Melbourne, if not Australia. And so it's a bit bizarre that we weren't contacted even to sort of look at what sort of opportunities, what sort of, what sort of, what were the risks. You know, I'm a project manager previously by trade. I actually, um, you know, put, uh, you know, made a pretty difficult choice to leave that career and, and embark on this one. So. Um, Contracts are a two-way street, put it that way. Hi everyone, uh, I wasn't planning on speaking, but anyway, my name's Amy Spears. I'm a PhD student at uh, the Centre for Cultural Partnerships. I'm also a uh, casual teacher and lecturer. Um, I've been making uh, socially engaged, participatory, community-based art for about 10 years now. I've had work exhibited at the Venice Bien oh, sorry, Vienna. Uh, Vienna Biennale, uh, so, oh, I slept on that one. Um, I've had work uh, exhibited in Germany. I have work regularly exhibited in Australia. I publish regularly. I've just been commissioned to write a piece on um, socially engaged art for the uh, Museum of Contemporary Art in Sydney. Uh, so the Museum of Contemporary Art in Sydney sees this work as an important kind of practice. They're, they're publishing books on it. Uh, our friends at the California College of Arts have just launched a brand new uh, master's course in social practice and public forms. It looks really exciting. It's uh, for artists who want to make work outside of conventional galleries and theatres, engage communities, and make work that's sort of political or about activist activism and is like uh, relevant to you know, our society, I mean, our society at the moment is pretty uh, grim at the moment, and uh, a lot of artists want to sort of reflect on that in their art practice and involve people who aren't the, you know, the usual elite art crowd. Um, yeah, so the California College of Arts has just started a new course. It's a shame VCA isn't using the same kind of leadership to start courses like this, because I know a lot of artists who are making work like this. If you go up right now to um, 
to the Queen Victoria Market, the Melbourne Festival is doing stuff on uh, public art, and a lot of those artists up there are making socially engaged art. It's really exciting practice. It involves uh, people from the community and uh, gets people to uh, engage with one another and start dialogues and debates. I, yeah, I don't. I don't know. The last four weeks have been so intense for us. Because, uh, I mean, I don't know, I'm, I'm in the last five min months of my PhD. I just found out that my primary supervisor has lost his job. And I'm being told that that's okay, Amy. We'll find someone in the university somewhere who will take care of your last five months of your PhD. Okay. And, you know, I take my research really seriously. Um, and I feel like the university has actually really let me down. And I'm losing confidence in them. Um, and I, I would be telling people that maybe they shouldn't be doing their, VCA, their PhDs at VCA at the moment because they don't seem to take you seriously. I'm going to stop talking now. <laughs> the CCP was sort of the only place that understood art as a way of being, art not as a choice that we make in sort of privileged, privileged positions to sit and go, I want to make a lifestyle choice to be an artist. Some of us don't have that choice and embody and act and are art in every single way and the CCP were the only ones to even be able to conceptualize that, to even look upon being enrolled in a research degree at such an institution as an act of resistance in and of itself. And the most offensive thing I found is that as soon as they like, declared this department dead, they looked upon us as a cohort as the problem. They were like, oh, oh, what do we do with all these students? Maybe we can put them over there, or maybe we can just, what do we do with these people? I'm Jared Kibet. I uh, just moved to Melbourne actually in February uh, from the United States. The reason I came to Melbourne was for the CCP. It wasn't for the VCA. It wasn't for the University of Melbourne. It was for the CCP specifically. And so I appreciate everybody's support on this. Hi, my name's Faye. I've been involved in the campaign to save CCP. And I think um, the first thing we should do is give a big round of applause to the students and staff in the CCP, the Centre for Cultural Partnerships, for standing up and actually fighting, you know, for being closed down. Because actually, you know, it's been a really difficult situation. Like, people are months from finishing their PhDs. They've moved here, you know, from other countries, international students have come here and study. And the university has just treated them like, you know, complete rubbish with complete contempt. So I think to stand up against the odds of that, you know, deans and vice chancellors earning millions of dollars against um, a, a small group of students and say, actually, we're not going to stand for this. I think they deserve a big round of applause for what they've done so far. That's it for this episode of Stick Together. Thanks to you for listening. And thanks to Owen Dugan and those people at the Save the Centre for Cultural Partnerships for talking to us. Stick Together is produced at 3CR Studios in Melbourne. We're broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. The podcast is available at 3cr.org.au. You can contact the producers of the show at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com or by calling 03 9419 Remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there's a union for you. My name's Annie McLaughlin. Catch you next time. <laughs>